it was spring break in high school, probably 1986. One old friend and I went with another friend to his new home on the eastern shore of Virginia for, for a visit that week. It's spring break week, and so off we go, and, and we all loved music, and we all played music together. And so we, we packed up music for the trip in my friend's parents' conversion van. And as this was decades prior to streaming music on the AirPod, we, we picked up cassette tapes to play in our portable tape players and our headphones. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Music is a big part of my life, and that's, I guess, how I remember some key events. But I remember uh, picking up a, a then-current release by Van Halen. I remember picking up a, a then-current release by Metallica. I remember another one was a copy of Aerosmith's Greatest Hits. And it was one that had a red and white cover. And, and these were classic tunes even in those days, but I had never heard them. And so I'm a first-time listener, and, and, and there were new ones to me, classics such as Dream On and Back in the Saddle and Sweet Emotion and, of course, Walk This Way. Walk this way. In life, we are given direction. Why? Well, because we're searching for direction. We, we see this question and answer throughout Scripture. And obviously, one reason you're here, you've tuned in, is to find answers to questions regarding God's directions for life. God's way. And, and we're told in Scripture how to walk. To walk this way, are we able to take His direction? Last time we ended up in 2 Peter chapter 1, that's where we'll be today, 2 Peter chapter 1. We ended with, with verses 3 and 4. And Peter wrote, For his divine power, the Lord's divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he, the Lord, has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. And as we saw last time regarding these precious and magnificent promises, the, the promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the very life of God in you and me, the promise of Jesus himself, this defeats the corruption of sin which began in the Garden of Eden. You remember the story. The Lord had told Adam and Eve, take dominion, have what you want, only stay away from that tree bearing the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so often, the way that sin begins, <laughs> the serpent asks the question, did God really say? 
did God really say that? And so we know the story. The fruit was eaten. Sin entered the world, tainting creation and impacting and destroying life ever since. But the good news of these promises, these magnificent and precious promises, we have the promise of salvation. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have the very life of God, the opportunity to have the very life of God in you and in me. And not a six-foot Galilean man (laughs) walking around inside of us. But Jesus told those disciples on that night, he said, I've got to go so that I can send you a comforter, a helper to help you on this journey of life. And so we know the story. Jesus went to the cross paying our sin debt, which only he could pay, giving us salvation. His resurrection when he came into that, that upper room, he appeared in that upper room and he, he breathed that peace on those disciples in that room. And then, following his ascension, right before he ascended and, and went to heaven and he gave the great commission to all who would follow those disciples there. And we disciples now, he, he said to go and make disciples. And he ascends to heaven and then in Acts chapter 2... Peter and the disciples are praying and we see that mighty wind happen in Acts 2 with Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends empowering gospel message in manifold language. The promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit which empowers us to live lives with help to deal with the things of life here. And these these two promises, this defeats the corruption of sin. We are promised forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But we have to turn from sin in order to be forgiven. We're promised forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus accomplished, but we've got to turn from sin in order to be forgiven. We want Jesus as Savior, but we struggle with, I think at times, I know I do, we struggle with allowing Him to be the boss, to be Lord. So walking this way, to walk this way, are we able to take His direction? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Peter begins, he says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. This reason, for this reason, make every effort. This is the only time this word shows up in the New Testament, this word phrase. We've seen this kind of action verb before. You know what, remember what action verbs are. You know, to run, to play, to eat, to drive, to hit the ball. And it's called an imperative. It's a command to make every effort. That's what Peter's saying. Make every effort. Be diligent. Make every effort and to do this in a hurry. I love the word lollygag. Do you use the word lollygag? We use the word lollygag. And Peter says, don't lollygag. Make every effort and do it in a hurry. Be intentional. Get after it. 
in your belief, in your trust, in your confidence, your diligence is going to impact your faith. How? Well, it's intentional investment into your faith and trust. This is not going to happen on accident. One writer says that, that God's grace is sufficient for us. Without that, we can do nothing. But by the side of that grace, along with it, we must bring into play all earnestness. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and the word seems to imply that the work is God's work. And we can do very little indeed, but that very little we must do, and for that very reason, that God is working in us. We're to bear fruit. I used to, to tell Sunday school class years ago, I would say, it's like fruit check in aisle four. Your, your lives, you know, we've got to manifest fruit. Tom Schreiner wrote this, Grace does not cancel out strenuous moral effort. We can't be saved for heaven and live like hell. Godly character does not emerge from passivity. Peter says that in faith, supply moral excellence. Moral excellence, virtue, goodness, uprightness, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge, this applied knowledge from firsthand personal experience. Peter says, and in your knowledge, supply self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. In your knowledge, supply this self-mastery, self-control, self-restraint, and in your self-control, supply perseverance, endurance, steadfastness, patient waiting for. And your perseverance, supply godliness. And, and a biblical definition of that is someone's inner response to the things of God which shows itself in godly reverence. And we saw this last time. It's a godly heart response. One writer says, the practice of self-control will result in patient endurance. A conscious submission of our human will to the holy will of God. And so we'll tend to develop and strengthen reverence towards God. Maybe you've heard of this image, this idea of who is on the throne of your life. Are you on the throne or is God on the throne? And Paul tells us in, in the book of Romans, throughout the book of Romans, it's a battle. It's constant. It's flesh versus spirit. That's the, whole, that's the whole challenge with living life between the time we are saved, when the Lord justifies us, and the time when we will be with Him in glory. This whole... It's what I call this swinging bridge of life. You have this post of justification, this post of glorification, and between the two is this swinging bridge of life where we are being set aside, we are being polished, we are being fitted. We are saved, but we are being saved. And all of our rough places are being worked out. And it's a constant challenge to submit our will to the will of the Father. Because you know why? Our natural drift, Matt Chandler says this, our natural drift, when you have the boat on the water on Memorial Day and it's unmoored, you know, the boat's going to drift. Our natural drift is towards self. 
We don't teach our children how to fight for toys in the nursery, do we? That's our natural drift. And so it's a constant challenge to submit our will to the Father's. In your godliness, supply brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, supply love. This this brotherly kindness, this is where we get the word Philadelphia. It's affection for the brethren, affection for the, for the fellow believer. And, and what's the difference between that and just plain old kindness? This is distinctly directed toward the fellow believer. You know, it's, it's one thing to be nice and kind to those whom we don't know, those with whom we don't live, But to those with whom we live and we see regularly, sometimes we can become unkind. Sometimes we can become cool with our love. That's why Peter gives us that distinct direction toward the fellow believer. So in your godliness, supply brotherly kindness, supply love. And what kind of love is this? There's several different kinds of love in the, in the New Testament. This is what is called agape love. It's benevolent love. It's goodwill. This idea of love, loving the brethren. We saw this early in our time together back in the winter and spring of 2019. We studied the letter of 1 John. And, and John, who walked with Jesus in Jesus' earthly ministry, John is now advanced in years, and he, he writes the following. In 1 John chapter 4, John writes, If someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. Wow. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And 1 John chapter 5, he continues, he says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves the child born of him. Small c, not Jesus, but the small child. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and follow his commandments. See, it's more than just saying a prayer. It's more than saying, I don't want to go to hell. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. But whoever has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Appropriate here that we reflect on a well-known verse, another well-known verse, and well-loved verse... Here on Memorial Day weekend, it's, it's Jesus' words in John chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, than a person will lay down his life for his friends. So to walk this way, are we able to take his direction? Peter says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, and I love how Peter says this, If they're increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These qualities, let's see them again. They're supplied by the application of all diligence of faith. 
Peter said moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, if you exist under them, and these qualities, if they're increasing, if you continue to grow under them, they do not make you useless. They, they keep you from being idle, lazy, thoughtless. They do not make you unproductive, unfruitful. They do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and knowledge we saw last time that, that actually reads as two words in one. The, the word for knowledge, it's, it's a quote-unquote on knowledge or in knowledge. And it means contact knowledge. It's, it's knowledge which shows a relational context. It's knowledge due to relationship. And, and Peter is saying, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive. It, it's, it's like he's saying, you know, they're not going to kill you. And one writer says, the various graces of the Christian character realized in the heart will lead us on towards that fuller knowledge of Christ. If they're really ours, they will not allow us to be idle. They must bring forth the fruit of good works. Again, fruit checking out four. And the life of righteousness by faith draws the Christian onwards in the knowledge of Christ. We learn to know Jesus by following Jesus. Again, we are promised forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross but we've got to turn from sin. We have to turn from sin in order to be forgiven. So to walk this way, are we able to take his direction? And Peter says in verse 9, For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. For the one who lacks these qualities, he's blind. He, he's mentally blind. Or maybe he's just short-sighted. And the only time this word shows up in the New Testament, he cannot see far off. It's where we get the word myopic. We're unable to have the foresight to see what could possibly be down the road. And this one of whom Peter is speaking has forgotten his purification from his former sins. Meaning... He's forgotten, it's escaped his notice, that he's been cleansed from his sins. In essence, this one has forgotten the price Jesus has paid for sin. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, Lamb of God, went to be sacrificed on the cross for us. Taking all the sins that had ever been committed by everyone ever, or which would be committed by everyone ever, becoming sin itself. Jesus, Son of God, taking your sin and my sin, my bad attitudes, your bad attitudes, taking them to the cross, becoming sin to the point where the Father could not even look at his son because holy God cannot look on sin and Jesus became sin for us. Dying a cruel and unjust and unkind death, suffering 
on the cross with cruel shame. And Peter says, this one is living like Jesus died for nothing. Wow. This one has forgotten the price Jesus has paid. Peter is saying, if you are seeking to walk in the way of Christ, these traits will be evident of your walk. You'll bear fruit. If these traits are hard to see, they are either forgotten or they're just non-existent. Tom Schreiner says that Peter observed that those who are not practicing these virtues have forgotten their forgiveness of sins. In other words, they're not living as forgiven sinners. They're behaving like unconverted people. Again, we're promised forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But we have to turn from sin in order to be forgiven. To walk this way, are we able to take His direction? Another way to say it is by asking this question. Did Jesus die for nothing? The Apostle Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, he uses this concept of clothing, taking off of the deeds of the flesh and, and putting on the new self. Paul writes, Now you also, you rid yourselves of anger and wrath and malice, slander, obscene speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices and having put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. This kind of hit me. Something that we forget. Paul wrote this to the church. He's writing this to the church. Don't lie to one another. Don't be, you know, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene speech. Don't do that. You who are in the church, don't do that. Put on the new self. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. That bearing with, that, that means enduring. We, we have three in our home, two are driving. We're giving counsel in the passenger seat. You know, there are bumps in the road. We want to make sure that when those bumps come that we absorb the bump and go on. Don't pell-mell. We don't want to realign the front of the vehicle. <laughs> we absorb the bump in the road and move on. And just as in driver's ed, life with people, there are going to be bumps in the road. How do we move on past them? Paul says, you put on love. So to walk this way, are we able to take his direction? In verse 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. Interesting language. As long, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Brothers and sisters, 
Be all the more diligent. There's that word again. Make every effort. Don't lollygag. To make certain about his calling. To make certain, to make sure about your invitation to salvation and his choice of you. When you trust, when I trusted Jesus to take care of my sins and, 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 and your sins, and we're saying, Lord, we want you to be the boss, the Lord has a plan. And the Lord is supposed to have possession and sovereignty and to sit on the throne of your life and of my life. Peter writes, For as long as you practice these things, as long as you do these things, you will never stumble. Why does this matter? Well, Tom Schreiner says this. He says, Those who live ungodly lives show no evidence that they truly belong to God that they have genuinely received forgiveness. And Peter doesn't tolerate those who claim to be Christians who contradict that claim by their behavior. If we're saved, if we have come to the understanding that our sin is a weight, is a guilt which we need relief and we need forgiveness. And we recognize that Jesus is the only one who can do that. Jesus is the only one who can pay that sin debt. Thanks be to God for Jesus. We give him that, Lord, save us. And Lord, because you have saved me, then Lord, I want to follow you. And I want you to be Lord of my life. And you will take control and I will gladly give you control. Even on those days that I really don't want you to have it, but I know that you're the boss. We are known by our fruit. And so to walk this way, are we able to take his direction? Last verse this morning, verse 11. For in this way, the, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. For, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. In this way, you will receive a lavish, abundant reception. One writer said this, that this is not salvation by works but it's salvation with works. There's going to be proof. Again, we are promised forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But we have to turn from sin in order to be forgiven. To walk this way, are we able to take his direction? It's Memorial Day weekend, and we think of sacrifice. We, we think of putting aside self. Those who set aside self to go and serve. We've seen tremendous examples in our history putting others before self. On the night of his betrayal and his arrest, pointing ahead to, to what he would do on the cross for all who would turn from their sin and trust in Him. Jesus said in John chapter 15, Greater love has no one than this, than a person, that a person will lay down his life 
for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, fruit check in aisle four, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. We are promised forgiveness of sin, and that's good news. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Mm, That's good news. But we have to turn from sin in order to be forgiven. Forgiven? Mm. Walk this way. Are we able to take his direction? 